Well, thanks so much for choosing to be here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, uh, welcome. Uh, last week, we started our new message series called Living Out Love. And, and my thinking on this is as we enter this new year, as we, as we kick off 2019, my goal with this is it's an attempt for us to discover how we can best love those that are around us. How we can become really the best versions of ourselves which then allow us to best love those that are around us and, and have a positive impact on different people on a daily basis and those that we interact with daily. So what we're doing is we're taking a look at the last seven statements that Jesus made prior to his death or during the process of being on the cross. And what we know is that oftentimes when somebody is close to dying, in those moments they are going to share some thoughts, they are going to share some ideas that are most important, right? Like if you know that your time is about up, you're going to try and share some things that you really care about. That, that this is sort of your last shot to communicate some of the things that you most care about, the things that are closest to your heart. So in the first week we looked at the fact that oftentimes when you and I are trying to deal with our guilt, when we're trying to overcome sort of our, our regret for decisions that we made, we realize that oftentimes we don't deal with guilt in a healthy way. And our hope was last week is that if we could begin to understand the power of the words that Jesus spoke when he said, Father, forgive them. Like if we could really embrace that, it could radically change the way that we deal with the guilt in our lives. This morning I want to look at a very short conversation, but actually one of the most amazing conversations, I think, that's ever happened in the history of the world. A conversation that's short enough, but has the ability to produce unbelievable confidence in our lives. It establishes stability in the way that we live, especially around the idea of where we stand in our relationship with Jesus. We find the story in the 23rd chapter of Luke. Luke was one of the guys that recorded uh, the life of Jesus. It's going to be on the screen. It's in your message notes. But this is the story out of Luke 23. It says this. It says, One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus hurled insults at him. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God even when you are dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds. But this man has done nothing, has done nothing, has done, has not done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's cutting it close. <laughs> I mean, that dude, he barely got into heaven. Like that, I mean, like right there. Like, if you're watching a movie and there's sort of this last second, you know, saving thing, we're like, oh, that's exciting. But this guy is literally playing with fire, right? Like, he kind of got a lucky draw. He, he was lucky enough to get executed next to Jesus. Like, if he hadn't gotten taken care of before that moment, if it had been another two guys next to him, he'd been out of luck. And clearly, the other criminal wasn't helping him out, right? The other criminal was actually making the whole situation worse, ridiculing Jesus. And there's no way that this guy that has this conversation with Jesus, that his final moments were going to be pleasant. I mean, the pain and the agony, and if you've been around church very long, you've heard the whole description of being crucified and how just painful it is. Some of the worst pain you can experience as a human. But you have to imagine that, that his final moments were made easier knowing that Jesus just said, I assure you, I'll see you in heaven. You're going to go to heaven. I mean, 
And maybe when you first read that, that doesn't even seem fair. Like, that guy, he was a terrible dude. This is a criminal. This is a guy that literally deserved to die for his actions. And now in the last moments, he's assured, in these final breaths, he's assured by Jesus, you will spend eternity with me in paradise. That doesn't seem fair. I mean, for some of us that go to church every week and play by all the rules and all, you know, we're like, what? But those words can radically change how we live, radically change how we approach each and every day. And the reality is that if you and I are going to fully be living out love, it requires tremendous assurance. For the first 15 years of my uh, ministry career, uh, I worked with 7th through 12th graders. Uh, I did student ministry, and eventually it just wore me out, so I had to move on. Um, just deal with you people. But anyway, um, for multiple summers in a row, I would take the students from Silver Creek. We would go over to this music festival over at the Gorge. Uh, the music festival, it was called Creation Fest. And uh, they would bring in all kinds of amazing bands and the top solo artists and they would, they would perform, and it was these amazing concerts. They brought in all these huge-name speakers. Uh, there was all these vendors that you could go visit. I mean, it was like, there was all kinds of stuff that you could do. After a couple years, I started to realize we had been going long enough that the kids were starting to get bored because I discovered that the students were playing this game called Honey Bucket Roulette. And basically the way it worked is this. There were so many people at this festival, like, you know, th thousands of people, that there were, they had all these rows of honey buckets. And, and there'd be like 50 honey buckets all lined up. And the object of honey bucket roulette was you would start at one end. And you would stand just in front of the doors. And then your goal was to run all the way along the front of the doors. Hoping that as you ran along, somebody didn't fling open the door <laughs> and send you flying to the ground. And so all the students would line up and they would watch them just boom, you know, and they'd get man, if you wanted to make it you needed to have assurance. Like, it did not feel good. You had, to, you had to run as fast as you possibly could. You had to give all of your effort to make it to the other side. You also had to have the assurance that if somebody opened the door and knocked you to the ground, you had to get back up and keep going. Now, now there was some risk but there was also reward. Like, you got there and you felt really good, but you also had the admiration of all of your friends. They're like, he made it. He made it. But to fully make it through Honey Bucket Roulette, it required some assurance. If you and I are going to choose to fully live out love, it's going to require some assurance because there's some vulnerability in this. If you and I are going to fully live out love, there's a chance we'll get hurt from time to time. But if we can have the assurance of where we stand with Jesus, if you and I can have confidence in our eternal destiny, then that begins to free us up to live with, with unreserved love. If you and I know where we stand at the end of all of this, then we, we, we live free of the fear of self-preservation. But if you and I, if we don't know where we stand with God, if we don't have that confirmation of what's going to happen when this, this life is over, then, then we'll live in a constant fear of, protecting ourselves. We'll, we'll be continually searching for other answers and, and not able to just live out love. Or we'll be convincing ourselves that well, we can't really know what's going to happen, and so it doesn't really matter, but I'm just going to take care of me. But Jesus died to save us from the fact that we are separated from God. Jesus died to save us so that we wouldn't have to experience that lack of connection 
that lack of knowledge that we know the God of the universe. Jesus died to save us from having to die to pay for the price of our own sin. We oftentimes use the definition of sin at Silver Creek as any time that you and I make a choice or an action or a word, sin is any time we do something that breaks relationship either with God or breaks relationship with another person. And what this is, is Jesus is saying, I am saving you, I'm going to forgive you for all of those times. And out of that forgiveness and out of that saving, we're then motivated to be living out love and we have the confidence that it's safe to do it. And if you and I can fully grasp this conversation with the criminal that Jesus has in these last moments, if we can really get what's happening here, we will have the assurance that we've been saved. From time to time as a pastor, people are like, how do I know? How do I know? This is how you know. This is how you can achieve the same status, the same knowledge that this criminal had. It's such an important cough, excuse me, a cough drop. And it's such an important conversation that Jesus and this criminal have. I mean, it tells us in this short little moment, you and I, we can come out of this understanding what it takes to be saved. It tells us how we can be certain that we have been saved. It tells us how we can get to a place where there are no longer any doubts in our mind. This is where we can discover an assurance that frees us up to live out love fully without any reservation, without any fear of rejection. So to discover this assurance, what we're going to look at is we're going to see five truths that saved a dying thief. I mean, this man is dying right next to Jesus. And this guy that's dying, he doesn't know very much. This guy has probably never been to school. He probably had no formal education of any sort. I mean, he's just a street criminal. Like, we might describe him as a, like a lowlife or something like that. I mean, but in this very short conversation with Jesus... He has promised that he'll be in paradise. And one of the most obvious ways that we know that somebody is going to go to heaven, the most obvious way that we can be sure that we're going to go to heaven is when Jesus says, I assure you, you're going to go to heaven. Like, that's, he knew, right? Like, Jesus says that, then you're, then you're in. So this guy, he didn't, didn't know much. Nobody ran up to him and said, hey, could you write a quick book on this? Nobody, you know, no, no guest secret or guest uh, appearances where he got to share. He didn't have any... But he knew enough. He knew enough from this short conversation that Jesus said, you're in. You have found the golden ticket, my friend. The fat lady can sing, strike up the band, whatever it is. This thief understood the truths. He understood these five things that ultimately transformed his eternal destiny. And if you and I can grasp this, if you and I can walk away with these five truths we can be assured that we're, that we're squared away with God. And that, that life now contains this amazing possibility because we know what our eternity is going to be. We know that we will spend eternity in paradise, whatever that looks like, with Jesus. So the first truth that you and I need to grasp is, is this. I need to understand that I'll face God. I must understand, you must understand, that when we die, we will face God. That's the first thing we need to know. We've got to understand that, that when we die, we will step into the presence of God and have a conversation. This guy knew it. He didn't know a whole lot, but he figured out, I will face God when this is over. 
And we see it where this fir- the first criminal, the other guy, he's like insulting Jesus, the crowd's insulting Jesus, the soldiers are insulting Jesus. So this other criminal thinks, well, this is my shot. I'll, I'll insult Jesus. And then the second criminal, the one that has the conversation with Jesus, he rebukes the first guy. Rebuke is a biblical term for stop being a moron. He's like, dude, do, do you not understand what's happening? You're about to die, and you're about to face God. I think you should knock it off. Hey, he's kind of trying to help the guy. He's like, hey, buddy, man, you and I, we, we've run from the police. We, we've fought the law our entire life. We've tried to run from God. You, we can't do it anymore. It's, it's, we, we're just seconds away from meeting God. And this second criminal, he knew what was coming when they died. He understood, even though he'd never read it, he understood what was written in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews says this, Everyone must die. Everyone must die once, and after that, be judged by God. Do you know that the mortality rate of humans is 100%? (laughs) Right? Like, nobody has skipped out on death. I mean, there were a couple people that, like, went to heaven, but that's pretty much, their life was over, they are gone. We're not all the same color. We're not all the same age. We're not all the same gender. We don't all have the same amount of money in our bank accounts. We have all these things that we're not the same in. The thing that we all have in common is everyone dies. That's the one thing we all know for sure. And, And we can try to ignore that reality. We can try and pretend like it doesn't matter. We can try and tell ourselves we don't have to be prepared for that meeting. But we all need to come to grips with the fact that when this life is over, we will stand before God. And that meeting should create fear. Not be scared. That should be, there should be some fear. Like, we're going to stand before God. We don't have to be scared of it, because that meeting has some huge implications. But we can discover a truth, just like this criminal, that we can be sure of how that conversation is going to turn out. We can be assured of the outcome of what's going to happen when we face God. And the outcome that we can be assured of is based on the rest of these truths. The next truth that we need to understand is this. I need to understand that I've sinned against God. And the criminal gets it. The criminal gets it. He's like, we deserve to die because of our evil deeds. I mean, he's admitting, he's like, we've sinned and we deserve it. Yeah, I, I need to die. Listen to what was written by one of the early church leaders. Uh, This guy, he had a pretty rough past. He actually killed other followers of Jesus before he discovered these same truths. His name is Paul. He wrote this. Paul said, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word confess is interesting. That word confess in its original meaning, it it basically means it's all the same. So, So to confess means I'm going to speak the same. So when we confess, basically we're speaking and saying, I agree with what God says. I'm confessing and agreeing that God only does what's right. I'm confessing that there are times that I have done wrong. I'm confessing, I'm admitting that God only is capable of speaking love and goodness. That's right. I have on other times spoken words that were destructive, hurtful, intended for gossip. That's wrong. 
I'm confessing, I'm admitting that God is the authority and rightful ruler of everything. That's right. There are times, though, I need to confess that I'm arrogant and prideful, think that I'm in charge and try and call all the shots, and that's wrong. There are times that I have cheated and, tr and tried to get ahead through deception, and that's wrong. God, on the other hand, I'm confessing, is always right. He's always truthful. He's always honest. That's right. Confessing is admitting that, that God is perfect, and He is holy, and He is righteous. He is the giver of all life. Confessing is agreeing that I haven't measured up to God. And the result of the fact that I haven't measured up to God is that I deserve exactly what this criminal was receiving. Death. And when we understand this, it makes us aware of our situation. It makes us aware of our need. And not only does it make us aware of it, it helps us to recognize that God was also aware of our situation. God was also aware of our need, so he had a plan. Which leads us to the next truth that we need to get, is that I need to understand that Jesus was more than a man. I don't know how you do this, but when I drive down the freeway, uh, my goal is to pretty much get there as quickly as I can. But I'm also super cheap and desperately want to avoid a ticket. So my plan is, and, and this is probably not original, and, uh, but my plan is this. I'm going to drive as fast as I can, but just slightly slower than whoever's going fastest. Right? And, and my hope is that if I ever encounter the highway patrol, that, that they'll see the other guy. They'll see the other guy, and they'll be like, well, well let's leave the first guy alone because that guy was worse, Right? I mean, typically, when, when, when we're in trouble, when we've done something wrong, we want to point out how somebody else is a little bit worse. Or, or at least as close to as bad. Like, well, I know I messed up, but did you see what he did? Like, we're pretty close. My kids love to do that. Hey, why are you doing that? Well, they're doing it too. Okay, then you're both in trouble. I mean, it's like, but our attempt is to try and look better. And, and notice what the thief says. The thief is like, no, doesn't. This, this guy right here, this, this Jesus, he's done no wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. He doesn't say, well, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's done a couple bad things. He points out, like, we deserve it. What's happening right here? What's happening? We, we should be getting this, but, but he doesn't deserve this at all. We have done wrong. This guy has done nothing wrong. The original word there for nothing, it means nothing. Zilch, not a zip, nothing. Like, he has done, he has never done anything wrong. Quick showing of hands. If any of you have, any, have ever had somebody say to you, you have never done anything, and if your mom said it, it doesn't count. Has anybody ever said to you, you've never done anything wrong? Not, nobody? Nobody, right. Well, you can't say that about any human being. Nobody has never done anything wrong. Is that even grammatically correct? Can you use that many double negatives? I don't know. As humans, we know that we're frail and we make mistakes and we have failings. Ultimately, we sin. So when this guy says that Jesus has never done wrong, not one thing, he's basically saying, this guy, he's, he's, not, he's not just a regular dude. He's not just a regular man. He's, he's not... He's not a normal human being that's dying here. I mean, he's human. He's got flesh and bones, and, but he's God. 
He's more than human. This is how it impacts. This is the impact the cross had. It said, God had Christ, who was sinless, take our sins so that we might receive God's approval through him. That's what salvation, this great big word, that's what it's all about. Jesus never sinned so that he could take our sin. He never did anything wrong so that he could take on everything that we've done wrong. So, so that he could take the rap, so that he could pay the price, he could cover your ticket, he could serve your time, he could, he could take on the judgment that you and I deserve. Somebody has paid for our wrongdoing. And, and either we let Jesus pay for it, or we let ourselves pay for it. Uh, rumor has it the baristas hate this process, but um, have you ever been through the drive-thru where somebody in front of you pays for the drink of the person behind them? Have you experienced that? Just so you know, baristas hate it. Um, my wife's a barista, she's told me. Anyway, um, we all know how this process works, right? You, you pull up to the drive-thru and you order your drink. And the moment that you order your drink, a price has now been established for your beverage. Right? And you order your drink and somebody starts preparing it. Somebody has to cover that bill. Likely it's going to be you. Right? And then you get up to that window and your debt has already been paid. Somebody else already covered the cost. Now, when the barista says, hey, somebody already covered the cost, you can be like, no thanks, I don't want the beverage. No thank you. When you do that, it doesn't mean that it hasn't already been paid for. You, you just don't receive it. Like the approval, the barista is saying, you're covered. We approve of you having this beverage. And you can be like, thank you, and drop it. I don't accept. Doesn't mean it hasn't already been paid for. The price has still been paid. And because Jesus had no sin, he never chose to sin. He was a sinless man. He had the opportunity to say, I'm going to pay for all your drinks. And then we can say, no, thank you. Or we can say, thank you. He had the credit. He had the ability to be the person in front of us in the line and say, I'm paying for the guy behind me. He was enough that God would say, okay, I approve. Jesus made up all of the difference. He covered all of our lacking, everything that we couldn't do. Jesus covered it, and as a result, God says, I approve. And this criminal, this simple guy, figured it out. This thief got it. He understood that he was going to face God. He understood that he had sinned. He understood that Jesus was a perfect human and had the ability to cover his sin. He also understood, and what you and I need to understand, is that only God's grace can save me. After he says, I deserve to die, after this guy says, he's never sinned, he says he's more than a man, then verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me. Hey, Jesus, just remember me. He knows he can't save himself. He knows he can't get down off his cross. He knows he can't go out and do a bunch of charity work and hope that that gets him in. He can't make up for his own sins. He can't correct any bad things he's done. He can't run, run around and say, I'm sorry. and all. He's like, I, I got no shot at this other than, Jesus, could you remember me? I can't save myself. I've made a mess of my life. I've wasted so many opportunities. He's got, I got, I got nothing left to offer. So, 
God, I'm not even going to try to make excuses. I'm not even going to try to justify. I, I, I'm not going to try anything else. I'm, I've got nothing to offer you, God. So there's no excuses on the table. I'm not going to say why. Why I did. He's just hanging there with no hope other than to say, remember me. Now, we get caught up sometimes in theological terms on, on what we have to say just right to get in, right? Like, he doesn't use any of the big words. He doesn't use words like justification or redemption, atonement, propitiation. He doesn't even say, and dear Jesus, I receive you into my heart. He just says, remember me. And Jesus looks at him and is like, I got you. You've said enough. You're in. I'll see you in heaven. I've studied the Bible a lot and I've read a lot of, or look, listened to a lot of theological commentaries and professors and preachers. I have this one really simple rule. If there's a truth that I'm trying to figure out and then Jesus says it, then that's the end of it for me. Like, that's the deal. Like, we can argue all kinds of things, but if Jesus says the guy is in, then he's in. Jesus is saying he's done enough. He said enough. He's believing enough. He understands enough. And so when Jesus says he's in, he's in. When Jesus says, I'll see you in paradise, that's it. He's done enough. And he's saying, you've done enough, not because you've done enough. You've done enough because you believe that what I'm doing is enough. This criminal believed that, that what Jesus was doing by dying on the cross was all that he needed. And because of what Jesus was doing on the cross, God would extend grace and would accept Jesus' death in his place. Here's what that early church leader, the, name, by the guy by the name of Paul, said this. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the best news. You, you can't work your way into heaven. And if anybody ever tries to convince you or talk you into thinking that you have to have it all right for God to accept you, they're all wrong. Like, if you and I had to earn God's approval, we would never know when we've done enough. We're always like, ah, I better do, I gotta do one more, better go to church one more time, I better do, I better be nice to one more old lady, whatever it would be, right? And anybody that felt like they had done enough, wouldn't be grateful for what Jesus had done. They'd be like, well, I kind of earned it. So there's this incredible offer that costs you and I nothing, but costs Jesus everything. So when the criminal said, remember me, that was enough. He's saying, Jesus, I, I just need you to cover for me. My best effort wasn't enough, so I, I, I need you to remember me. I need you to get it right because I haven't gotten it right. I need you, based on your efforts, to clear things up with God. Jesus, I, I need you to take on what you don't deserve so that I can get the benefit of what I do deserve. I do deserve to die. I don't deserve your grace. So, Jesus, would you just remember me? How incredible. How absolutely amazing. And it's exactly what you and I need to understand. And when we do, we ex receive exactly what this criminal received. And Jesus, when we say, remember me, then God's grace is extended. 
not based on anything that you and I have done, not based on any of our own efforts, but completely based on what Jesus has done. And God's grace is extended to you, all, you and I all based on what Jesus has already done for us when he died for our sins so that you and I wouldn't have to do it. And God's grace is extended, and that brings us to the last truth. And the last truth is this, is I need to understand that Jesus will save me if I ask. The guy is hanging on the cross, and he doesn't ask Jesus to take away the pain. He doesn't ask Jesus to take him down. He doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. I mean, somehow this guy had heard all about Jesus. He had heard about some of the miracles. He had heard about Jesus raising people from the dead. He knew something about Jesus. He obviously knew that Jesus could do whatever he wanted to do. So he doesn't try to talk him into like, hey, could you just make this hurt a little bit less? Could you just relieve me from what's about to happen? All he says is, Jesus, just, just remember me. When you come into your kingdom, just remember me. What this criminal recognizes is that he had a deeper need than the pain that he was experiencing. His deeper need was that he needed to be saved from his sin. That's what he needed. Years after Jesus has left the earth, there's another guy in this desperate situation. He's panicking. He's trying to figure out, what do I do? What do I do to be saved? How do I be saved? And he asked some followers of Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And their response was simply this. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. You don't have to get anything else right. That's what you have to get right. Like, you and I can disagree on how the world came into existence. Evolution versus creation. We, we don't even have to get that right. We can, we can have different views on which Bible translation is the best one. Like, you can think that every person has their own guardian angel. I'll think you're crazy. But we, that doesn't even matter. As long as we get this part right, we can figure out the rest. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, not that it doesn't matter. It's important stuff. It, this is all we have to get. That Jesus is the only one that can save us from our sins. He's the only one that can forgive us for everything that we've messed up. He can restore us to have a relationship with God. And all we have to do is, is believe and ask Him. I mean, He's already died for us. We just have to believe that he did. And then what's so incredible is that when we do that, then we can live each day with complete assurance. I mean, if a criminal who never had a chance to go to church, who never got to drop any money in an offering, or memorize some verses for a gold star, or tell other people about Jesus, if he could have assurance, then certainly it's available to us. Certainly it's something that Jesus wants you and I to embrace. And it's all in that statement that Jesus made to the criminal. Break it down one last time. This is how it went. Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And here's what he was saying. Basically, Jesus is saying, it is immediate. Today, right now, in this moment, when you ask Jesus, remember me. Forgive me. He forgives you in that moment. He makes it right, right now. It's done. You found the golden ticket. And then Jesus says, you will. That means it is certain. There is no point where Jesus is like, I think you've got a really good shot. There's no like, cross your fingers and do a couple more things and I think you're going to make it in. Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's a lock. It is certain. There is no doubt. You will. And then he says, you will be with me. This means it's relational. 
Salvation's not about rules. It's not about rituals. It's not about regulations. It's about a relationship. This whole idea, it's not about dodging hell. It's about being connected with God, the one that created it, the, the one that loves us, to be made right with him, to be saved by him so that we can know Jesus, so we can be in a relationship with him. And as a result of that relationship, it means a location, paradise. At some point, this life will be over, and you and I will change our location, and we will discover our eternal residence. Listen, I have, I have no idea. Well, I have some ideas. I don't know much what heaven's going to be like. I don't really know a whole lot about what hell's going to be like. I've got some guesses on both. My guess is you have some guesses on both. But even if we're off by a whole bunch, I think one is clearly better than the other. Right? So, so why not go with the one that we're pretty sure is better? Think about how you feel on the last day or two before you come home on vacation. Those last day or two before you come home on vacation, it's like, uh, heading back to normal life. And those last two days of vacation are like, well, mm. you're trying to forget. You're like trying to live it up, but you're like, ah, oh, it's a little sad, right? Because vacation is almost over. It's not quite as enjoyable because you know it's coming to an end. But consider how you feel on the last day or two before you leave on vacation. Like you haven't even left yet. And there's this anticipation, and there's this excitement, and there's this joy that just changes how you live even before you get on vacation. Life becomes better before vacation just based on knowing that you're going. Life becomes better knowing what your eternal destination is going to be. And because it's already set, now you can live with a new anticipation and a new excitement and a new joy. And based on this conversation that we see with the criminal and Jesus, you and I can live with assurance that our future is set, that it is secure, that one day we will live in paradise with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as a result, you and I have the freedom now to fully live out love every day. Each week we put in your program these Green Connect cards and we challenge you to think through what it is you're going to do based on what you've heard this morning. And this morning, if you're like, I have never said to Jesus, remember me. If you've never said, I need you to forgive me, I recognize the sin in my life, then I would encourage you on the backside where it says beginning a relationship with Jesus, would you, would you mark that? And I'm going to send you an email and we'll talk through a little bit more what that looks like. But this morning, as we pray, all you have to say is, Jesus, would you remember me? And recognize where you're at in your life and, and the choices that you've made and, and that you've sinned and that you need him to replace that for you and die in your place, and he's already done it. But what are your, what's your next step? Maybe this, next, this morning your next step is to talk with Jesus about where you need assurance regarding your relationship with him. And then go back and review these different steps that we need to understand. Maybe your next, the next step this morning is to embrace that if a thief in his final moments could find assurance, then so can you. Or maybe your next step is to consider how being assured of where you stand with God will help you be living out love. And lastly, maybe there's just something on your own that, that came to your mind, something that you need to make as your next step based on what you've heard this morning. Whatever it is, don't miss out on your opportunity to respond to what Jesus is saying to you today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you did on the cross for us.
that should never become old. We should never get tired of thanking you for that. So thank you. Thank you for this incredibly simple but amazing conversation. Thank you for the demonstration of, of this criminal whose, whose name we don't even know but demonstrated what it looks like to be able to find that assurance of our relationship with you. Help us to be willing to take some time to, to understand these truths, to let them sink in and to let them change how we approach each and every day, ultimately based on what we know will happen to us one day when we stand before you. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Help us to live in such a way that reflects that. In Jesus' name, amen.